0: Welcome to the Yellow Balloons Podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this episode, we take some time to review what we have seen in Revelation so far. We pick up John's vision with the judgment seat in chapter 20. Death is not the end of our lives. It is a transition into the next manifestation of our existence. The judgment seat awaits as we make our transition into eternity. We should be living our lives on earth in light of this truth, understanding that our choices matter.
1: Well, it's often said that successful people begin with the end in mind. And I think that's inarguable because if you have even just a project, if you don't know what you're trying to accomplish, it's really hard to get there. And in life, if you don't know where you are, and you don't know where you're going, you will get there, as they say. And what usually people talk about when they talk about life, our lives, is beginning with the end in mind, is sort of a vague, what will people say about you at your funeral? Which I'm going to propose to you today is an inadequate end to think about. Because what we're going to talk about today Is I will propose the actual end of our life on earth. Our passing, our physical passing is just an installment of our actual end. The actual end is the Judgment Day and we have finally gotten in Revelation to the Judgment Day in chapter 20. So that's what we're going to do today. Let's just start with Romans chapter 2 and start breaking paradigms and making you uncomfortable right off the bat. (laughs) In Romans chapter 2, verse 6, it says that God will render to each one according to his deeds. That is a quote from the Old Testament. So there's nothing new about this concept. And then he gives two outcomes. It's a binary outcome. Number one, eternal life. To those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Now that's confusing to us because we're used to thinking of eternal life as a gift that you get when you believe. And so it is. But eternal life as a gift is like physical life as a gift. Physical life just happens to you. None of us had anything to do with being born. It was totally outside of all of our choices and understandings. It was just a gift. But you know what? We become in life, we have a lot to do with. Our choices really make a big impact on that, don't they? So spiritual life's the same way. It's a gift. Eternal life is a gift. But it's also a measure of the quality of that life. And what this tells us is that at the judgment seat, that doesn't end. We can choose a certain quality of life in this life. And whatever we choose in this life is just going to keep on compounding into the future. Well, that could be exciting or not exciting depending on what kind of life we're living, right? It goes on to get a little more confusing. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good. Nothing confusing about that, is there? Doing good is not easy, is it? What's the main reward for doing good that you get in this life? No good deed goes unpunished, right? Isn't that that the statement? And in fact, if you're generous to someone, What they generally will do is uh, attract a whole group of people that will complain because you're not being generous to them also. If you give somebody something, they'll want more. And if you stand for truth, you'll get ridiculed by people who don't like truth. It's just kind of the way things go. So it gets weary doing good, and so you've just got to keep going on. So there's nothing confusing about that. But what's confusing to us, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Now we're used to thinking of glory, honor, and immortality as being something that a gladiator's after. And a gladiator life and a Christian life usually don't kind of go together. So, what is this glory, honor, and immortality, and how does it work? And in fact, this does go along with the idea of what are people going to say about me at my funeral, beginning with the end in mind, but you know, no matter how effusive people are at your funeral, they're all going to die too. And in spite of what Yogi said, go to everybody's funeral so they'll come to yours. <laughs> it doesn't really work that way, you know. Everybody, all those nice things are going to disappear. But look what this is, eternal life to those by patient, continuance and doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. This is not from man. Those things are all gone. They all fade away. This is glory from God, honor from God, and a lasting remembrance from God. See, the nice things God says about us at the judgment seat will never be forgotten. That's pretty cool to think about, isn't it? And in fact, this goes right along with what we've learned in Revelation so far. So let's just rewind and talk about how we got here to the judgment seat in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. How did we get here? Well, we looked at Revelation as a really, really simple book with a simple message. If you come to Revelation trying to understand all the entries on God's outlook calendar... It gets really confusing. But you know, he says you get a special blessing if you read, understand, and do the words of this prophecy. But if he wrote Revelation so we could understand what's going to happen and that it's already on God's outlook calendar, could we do anything about that? So there's nothing to do there. No, the Revelation is about read, understand, do. And what is it he wants us to read and understand and do? Well, two Really significant things. One is that God is on his throne. His outlook calendar will not be revised. It is what it is. And it is what it's going to be. And the second thing is he just wants us to do one very simple but not easy thing. And that's be a faithful witness unto death. What's the Greek word for witness? Martireo. We get our English word martyr from. So be a faithful witness and don't fear death. Any kind of death. Rejection, loss, whatever it is. Exile. Any kind of death. Don't don't be afraid of it. Why? Because he's going to make it worthwhile. No matter what we have to put up with, he will make it worthwhile. So what kind of blessing is that? Well, if you can live a fearless life that's full of hope, is that a blessing? I think so. That's what he's offered to us. We see that Jesus is on his throne. All through this book, throne, 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 41 times throne. And in each and every case, there's not even a contest for the throne of God. He is on the throne. Every crazy thing that happens in the world, every plague, every war, it's all authorized. Every bit of it, it's authorized. We saw this book as organized as to what was and is and what is to come. And we saw what was and is in chapters 1 through 3. And in what was and is, we saw this letter to these seven Roman cities in the Roman province of Asia, because we're in the Roman era. And he says things like, the devil will throw some of you into jail, but don't be afraid. So it's on his calendar. You're going to get thrown in jail. It was authorized. But don't be afraid. Don't fear death. I'm going to give you something way better. If you'll just hang in there. He says things like, I've opened a door. Nobody can shut this door because I opened it. So God authorizes bad things to allow to happen. And he says, if you want to shut that door, you can't shut it. So he authorizes opportunities that we have a chance to go through because he's on his throne this whole time. His outlook calendar is certain. And in the 4 through 20 so far, ultimately 22, he says things like the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Power was granted unto him. He was authorized to do this thing or that thing. This angel prepared for this point in history was allowed to do his thing. It's all authorized. And we saw the outlook calendar start to unfurl. We saw the seven seals on the scroll. Only Jesus was authorized to break those seven seals. And as he did, the four horsemen of the apocalypse came out. And all these crazy things start to happen. And then the seventh seal broke and seven trumpets happened. And each trumpet authorized some crazy thing to happen on earth. He's not trying to get us to understand how all those events are going to happen. And What's he trying to get us to do? Hey, I am authorizing these things. No matter how crazy things get, don't worry about outcomes. Okay, I got the outcomes all taken care of. What are we supposed to worry about? Be a faithful witness. Don't fear death. I'm, I got this. I got this. Don't fear what's going to happen. Just keep doing your job. And we saw that if we keep doing our job, amazing things happen. Glory, honor, and immortality. And he tells us, I will make you an overcomer. A Nikeo from Nike, goddess of victory. I'll make you a victor. A winner. Someone who prevails. A conqueror. And let's just look at Revelation 3 21. This is the spirit of our age, Laodicea, people who say, I don't need God. To him who overcomes, Nikeo, to him who wins, to him who overcomes, Nikeo, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame, Jesus speaking, and sat down with my Father on his throne. So Jesus, who is already the king of the universe, sat down with on the throne as king also of the world because he came to the earth, became a human, and won the right to rule the earth and supplanted Lucifer from that standpoint. And he says, I overcame. And what did Jesus overcome? Fear of death? Temptation? And because of that, he sat down on his father's throne. And he says, I'm inviting you to overcome the fear of death. Seek Continually doing good and come sit with me on my throne. It's pretty remarkable. So we come to this Revelation chapter 20 verse 11. Then I saw, and this is still John's vision that he has. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. We see here that there's this great white throne. It seems to come after this thousand years has expired. And it seems to come after the heaven and earth have fled away. And we know the heaven and earth is destroyed by what? By fire. And in this verse, the fire appears to come from where? Yeah, Jesus' face. So Jesus says, I don't want you anymore. It blows up. That's a cool Jesus, don't you think? Jesus' face melts the heaven and the earth, and then everybody comes to see Jesus and his face, the face that melted the heaven and the earth. And he says, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Now, who's the dead? Well, we saw in 24 through 6 that there's some people who already live and reign. It says, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark of his foreheads on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So it certainly seems as though somebody is living and is not included in this dead. That certainly seems to be the case. And, of course, last week, last time, I made it really clear that I do not want the plagues of this book added to me, so I don't want to add anything, and I don't want my part of the book of life taken away, as it says in chapter 20, so I don't want to take anything away, so I'm going to do my very, 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 very best to just talk about what's here. And what seems to be the case is that these uh, people who have lived and reigned are a separate set from verse 5, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. Now, I don't know the mechanics of how this works. Usually, the reason why people really want to parse out and understand how this works is so that they can minimize the amount of pain they have on this earth and get away with it in the next life. So how can I, How does this system work so I can game it? That's usually how we want to know, right? That's why we hire accountants, to do our taxes, isn't it? Yeah, how can we understand the system as, as best possible and minimize our taxes? Which is how the game's set up. I, th- I, don't, I think that probably there's a lobby in Washington to make the tax code more complicated every year because it creates more accounting fees. But, you know, that's not the point here we don't need to game the system or understand how all these things work because the point's really clear. Be an overcomer. That's really it. We're really It's really, really clear all the other options are not good. Exactly how it works, I don't know. It appears as though whoever's not an overcomer doesn't get resurrected until this time. Does that mean they're not alive? No. Even the people who are not believers are still conscious. Remember... We saw last time Hades, and you've got this chasm between and the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, and there's consciousness, and there's, they're talking across the chasm in Hades, right? Remember that? So there's still consciousness, but they're not back in action, as it will, on the earth. So whoever that is, that's the rest of the dead is not resurrected to reign and that could be believers and unbelievers alike i think it certainly includes unbelievers well where are the believers then if that's the case or well i don't know they could be on the earth because in th- chapter i'm sorry in verse 13 it says the sea gave up the dead who are in it and death and hades delivered up the dead who are in them now hades has two compartments it's got abraham's bosom And it's got, what's the other one called brand? Tartarus, right? You know, that's the same word as used for Sheol. So it's a model that comes all the way through the Old Testament through. Apparently the Greek idea was good enough, and they just uh, incorporated it as a description of what goes on. And so whoever's dead there is included. Some people say that the paradise side has already been emptied out. Perhaps so. But this sea gives up the dead also. And remember, all through Revelation, the sea is the thing the beast arises out of. And the sea that the beasts arise out of certainly appears to be the earth because the beast arises from the earth. And we saw in the millennial kingdom there's still people dying even though it said if somebody dies at 100 years old, they're considered a child that died because death becomes very rare. But still people die. And at the end of this thousand years and everyone's released and then there's another rebellion which is mind-boggling. We'll go into that next week some, hopefully. And there's another rebellion. Fire comes down and devours the people fighting. There's probably still a lot of other people that didn't come to the battle. And so all these people that are left, they're all in this uh, sea, uh, apparently. So you've got everybody left coming to this judgment. Now, the reason why we don't like the idea of anyone's name not found written is cast in a lake of fire, and this idea that fire might apply to a believer is because we know believers don't go to hell. But here's the thing. Hell, as we know it, Hades, is cast into the lake of fire in verse 14. See that? So hell, Hades, is cast into the lake of fire. It doesn't even exist anymore. There's now a lake of fire. And a lake of fire could be a place, or it could just be a condition. And if Jesus' face has melted the heaven and the earth, it could just be that being in a certain state in the face of Jesus is punishment in and of itself. It is an uncomfortable circumstance that you're going to have forever and ever. And I showed you last time that there's this passage in Ezekiel and in Isaiah where Lucifer is spoken of as people who walk by and say, is that the guy that w- was, w- was uh, wreaking havoc on the earth, that beggar there, that little guy in the ashes there? And I propose to you the possibility that that could be the worst punishment for Satan of all possibilities. Because what is Satan's big desire? To be great on whose terms? Yeah. His. What does Jesus call us to do in this book? To be great on whose terms? His. Isn't that interesting? And so what he's going to do is take the one who wants to be great on his terms and bring him down into the dust forever for everybody to see. And what he wants to do is say, If you'll be my faithful witness unto death, not fear death, just do the role I've given you to do the way I ask you to do it. I'm going to elevate you all the way up to the thing Lucifer wanted in the first place, which is my throne. And I'm going to set you on it. Why? Because you learn to serve. And that's what I'm after.
0: This teaching will continue in the following episode. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at YellowBloons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowbloons.net. Thanks for listening.